Good morning, my friends. I'm Pastor Stephen Brooks. Welcome today to Morning Glory, our midweek Bible study. Today we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. I invite you, grab your Bibles, meet me there. We're going to focus our study today on verse 11. And let's open up today in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come bringing illumination and insight into Christian living. We thank you, Father God, that you have made provision for victory in every area of our lives through your Son, Jesus, and His atoning sacrifice at Calvary. We thank you for answers in your Word. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Let's all agree and say, Amen. Now today, as I mentioned, we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Beloved, so he is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. He's not talking to unbelievers or those who are outside of Christ, but this would be to the Christians. Beloved, I beg you. In other words, he has a strong desire for them to walk in this. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. And I think it's important that we realize that we are only on this earth for a limited time and we are moving through this sin-filled world, and we are on our way to heaven. Praise God. So we are sojourners. We're travelers. We are pilgrims. In other words, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Woo! Praise the Lord. You know, there's a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties in the earth today. As a believer, you, you look at the nation, uh, uh, particularly the nation that you would be living in, and you think, wow, you know, my country has a lot of challenges. We have a lot of problems, and there are certain threats. There are natural disasters. There's sickness, disease, plagues, and other types of things, and threats looming threats of war, uh, for example. But, my friends, there's a war that is continually going on against your soul. Now, your mind is the battlefield here on planet Earth. There are natural battles where tanks and guns and uh, naval vessels fire off their weapons and things like that can occur, uh, uh, you know, take place when we have these, you know, various wars and so forth. But within your mind, there can be this battle. And the reason the battle is within your soul. Now remember, your, your soul is your mind, your will and your emotions is because of the soul's connection to the body. Now, let's think of it like this. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, that we are spirit, soul, and body. When you were saved, when you were born again, and you gave your heart to Jesus, what part of you was born again? It was your spirit. You were recreated on the inside upon salvation, and the spiritual death that you were in has left you, and the newness of life of Christ Himself has come into you, and you have passed from death to life. And that's 
you have the passing from spiritual death into spiritual life. So when you were born again, the part that was born again was your spirit, or we could say the hidden man, the inner man. Now you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in your body. I'm sure that you've noticed that when you gave your heart to Christ, whether it was two weeks ago or, you know, two decades ago or 40 decades ago, regardless of when it was, you realize that it was not your body that got born again. In other words, you, you know, you somehow didn't go back to a different age or your hair color didn't change or you suddenly had a different color eyes or something like that. No, the transformation was on the inside. So your body was not born again, but this is very important to understand. Neither was your soul. Your soul is in a process of being saved. And much of that process deals with the conformity of our thought life and how we work with our mind based upon the Word of God to combat these lusts that are circulating throughout the earth. Let's look at it again. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against what? Your big toe? No. No, they war against your soul. So they war against your thought life. And a soulish mind, a soulish nature, connected with a body that is moved by the five physical senses, is really the primary threat that as a Christian you have to deal with. It's not some uh, evil power of somebody threatening to, uh, you know, send a bomb over here or something like that, although there can be literal physical threats, and those have to be uh, dealt with when, when certain things like that happen. But this is something that touches every believer, sometimes even to a degree on a daily basis. Now, there are certain days that everything can go pretty smooth, and you can have these other days where these trials or challenges really can come. We know that when Jesus defeated the three primary temptations aimed at him by Satan, that it says that after Satan's defeat and Christ won all three rounds, it says that Satan left for a more convenient time. In other words, he's going to come back. Probably not the next day. Probably not the next, you know, three or four days. He needs to recalculate and replan a different approach because what worked on the original Adam did not work on this man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So there are days when you can go through the day pretty smoothly, and there are other days where there is literally, it's like a war is going on within your mind. Maybe it's a war where worry and fear are just trying to overwhelm you. And it could be other things where the, the nature of the flesh wanting to express itself in ways that God said, no, that's not right. Don't do that. Uh, but yet your flesh seems to have a mind of its own. And the soulish nature of man is dealing with that because there's that connection with the flesh. And there is this constant battle that takes place. So we are told to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. They war against your way of thinking. They war against your thought life. And it can be like sometimes if this thing gets the jump start on you because 
maybe you haven't spent enough time in prayer. Maybe you, you haven't been walking closely with the Lord. Suddenly, it's like your spirit can get hijacked. By who? By your soul and by the urges and desires of your body. Praise the Lord. Now, this past week, I have received some very good emails with questions about this and uh, certain online church members or ministry partners saying, Pastor Stephen, how do you deal with certain things that touch anybody that's a human? How do, how do you deal with these types of things that perhaps we could call the fleshly lust, which war against the soul? Well, let me tell you what works for me, and then you can take these ideas and implement them in your walk with the Lord according to your character and your makeup and the way that God has made you to be. Praise the Lord. So let me say this. When you walk close with the Lord, you're still going to have attacks. The enemy is still going to try to do things uh, against you to tempt you and, and things along that line. But there is a place that if you really stay very close to the Lord, uh, there is a place of shelter. There is a place of relief where uh, many of those darts, they're just going to bounce off your shield of faith because you're protected. But what can happen is that the adversary, he'll watch. He'll watch your life, and he'll look for moments where you characteristically lower your shield. And guess what? That's when he's going to attack. And it could be that you have neglected your time with the Lord, and suddenly you find yourself where you're in a precarious situation where these things are really pressing on you, and you feel like you're about to give in. And it's almost like you're hanging onto a cliff, barely hanging on, and your grip could give out at any moment, and thus you would yield to whatever temptation it is to, you know, get in the fear or pick up the phone and uh, call somebody and say something you shouldn't, or send off a volatile email that later you wish you could retrieve, but it's too late. So we have to know how to deal with these things of the soul and of the flesh that would try to come against us, because at times uh, this war is very, very real. Woo! Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I know that from a biblical perspective of having looked at the Scriptures, and many of you, you know the Scriptures very well, we could easily say, well, Pastor Stephen, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to crucify the flesh, and then we could, maybe we could have a crucifixion parade. We could all walk around and quote Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, and we could have a big crucified with Christ parade, and uh, we could say, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to die to it. <laughs> yes, we are. But how do you actually work that out? When it says here, abstain from fleshly lust, well, how do you abstain when it's screaming against you? Oh, well, Pastor Stephen, you should drop to your knees and pray and begin to intercede. But what do you do when your mind or your soul or your body doesn't want to drop down on the on its knees and start praying. <laughs> so what do you do? Because remember, there's a war going on, so it's a pull back and forth, and so sometimes you can feel like you're caught in the middle, and you know you're wondering, Lord, this thing is raging. Who's going to win? Praise the Lord. So let me give you some tips of how you can turn the tide and get out of that precarious uh, position of dangling over a cliff and getting onto some solid ground. Praise the Lord. 
And I want to bring you also from, for what is many Christians, a, a way of living, I would call it like living in the outer court experience, their entire Christian life, where this is, uh, uh, you know, they're just yielding to the soulish nature or the flesh nature on a continual basis. And God didn't design the Christian life to be like that. So I want to encourage you to leave the outer court, come to a closer walk with God, move into the holy place, and then move further into the holy of holies where you find peace and relief. Praise God. But our subject today is what do you do though when you are uh, not so as we would say in the holy of holies, but you're out here in this place where all this stuff is hitting you. How are you supposed to respond? And I want to try in this message today to address this because of some of the very uh, desirous emails that I have received of, of people that really want to know, how do you overcome these certain things that just hit you? And it's like a war is raging. Mm -mm. Praise God. Let me say this. I had an amazing encounter with the Lord some years back. Uh, he came to me and he talked to me in a vision. Uh, it wasn't a long visionary experience, but uh, you know, these times with the Lord can be very powerful from the sense that anything He says, uh, uh, anytime He's ever told me something, it's always been uh, rock solid. It's been pure gold. But, uh, one time he, he said, because I was concerned about, you know, my, my past life and failures and things like that, and the Lord told me in a vision, He told me face to face, He said, some of the things that you have struggled with and that you have failed in, I don't hold you fully responsible because no one ever taught you how to live the way you're supposed to live. Now, in context, and I knew the context of what he was referring to, he was basically saying no pastor that you ever sat under in their church basically demonstrated or explained to you how do you get through uh, trial situations where your flesh is screaming and going wild. How do you actually get through that? Well, you know, a lot of pastors will say, well, now just crucify it. And you're like, okay, uh, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, am I supposed to go out and get a cross and actually hang on it? <laughs> I mean, so how do you work this out? Well, Pastor Stephen, do a 40 day fast. Well, what if you don't get the flesh under for 10 days? What are you supposed to do uh, till then, you know? So you have to have some type of remedy, something that you can begin to implement right on the spot that will bring the relief that you need. And of course, you know, the Lord, He explained to me how you can disarm the soulish nature that has a strong will of its own. And then of course, when that soulish nature teams up with the flesh, you know, your, your spirit is over here going, hey, you know, we're going in the wrong direction. So you have to get your spirit back into dominance. You never want to be led by your body, and you never want to be led by the soulish nature or the carnal mind of man. It'll take you in a wrong direction. Mm -mm. Because remember, it's your spirit that is born again. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So this is what I do when the war is raging. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. This is how I abstain. Not by walking around saying, I abstain. I abstain. <laughs> because remember, when that stuff hits, there's a part of you that there's a part of you which would be your soul and your body that doesn't want to abstain. That's why there's a war. So what I do is I find a place where I can get alone and sit down. 
Now, I may not have uh, a lot of time, but I can take what I have. If I have some free time where I can break away, then I can, I can definitely break free. So what I do is I find a place where I can sit down and I can get quiet and I'll, and I'll slowly start speaking in tongues. Well, Pastor Stephen, why don't you get on your knees and just pray real hard and fast? Because there's a part of me that doesn't want to. That's the part that needs to get crucified. And if my spirit at times like that were fully dominant, I would just get right on my knees. But remember, there's, there's a war raging. So I just sit down somewhere and maybe get a coffee. And I, all I do is start praying in tongues. Pastor Stephen, why don't you pray in English? Because my soul doesn't want to pray in English, doesn't want to pray at all. So I'm going to pull that over onto the side of the Spirit by just sitting there and gently praying in the Spirit. And while I'm praying in the Spirit, those, those urges and that war can still rage, but I'm going to continue praying in the Spirit. And then I'm going to do something that has proved very helpful for me over the years. And this is found in Psalm 16. I'd like for you to look at it with me. Psalm 16, verse 8. This is David speaking. He said, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is in my right hand. I shall not be moved. Now, let's ask ourselves a question. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. How did he do that? Well, Pastor Stephen, he took a picture. And he took a picture of, of Jesus, and he set it right there in front of him. And whenever he faced temptation, he looked at the picture. Well, they didn't have pictures back then, not, not like we have today of oil paintings and things like that. So he, he, he obviously could not have done that. So what did he do, in essence, to set the Lord before him? Well, we do know that there was this, the tabernacle system that was initiated by God through Moses. And then when David was the king of Israel and the overseer, in a sense, of the tabernacle at that time, it was a very different situation from uh, the temple that Solomon would build, or Zerubbabel's temple, or Herod's temple. David's tabernacle was basically the Ark of the Covenant beneath a tent with no veil to conceal it from him or the people. So it was, it was like a foreshadowing of grace where you could come directly to the Lord. Now, of course, even back in David's day, it's not like you would take the mercy lid or the mercy seat off the top of the Ark and look into it or something like that. But I think David somehow would just get around the the ark, and he would look at it, and he would probably start looking at the, the beautiful uh, angelic creatures that were the cherubim that were up on it, and he would, he would look at that, and I think it, bar, it would bring like a soothing into his soul. Now, on my phone, I have a couple of images, and we can do this today because we have pictures, and we could take an image or something like that, but whenever I sense that war raging, maybe it's anxiety, you know, so many things to do, and you know how you're going to get it all done, and you're starting to get maybe stressed or worried or something like that. What I do is I sit down, I just start slowly praying in the Spirit, maybe I'm sitting on the couch or something like that, and I'll take that image, and I'll start to look at it. 
while I'm praying in the Spirit. Pastor Stephen, is it an image of Jesus hanging on the cross? No, but it is an, an image of something that glorifies the Lord. Here's an example. One of the images I have that I, I'll just look at it and pray in the Spirit. It's an image taken by the Hubble Space Telescope of a what they thought was an empty area of space, and they, you know, took this time-lapsed photograph of the deep sky in this one particular area, and when they developed it later and saw the image, it was, you know, countless star systems and galaxies and clusters of nebula and all this stuff. And so whenever I see that, and I meditate on that, and I pray in the Spirit, I start to get calm, because I realize if God can create all of this by the Word of His power, and He can operate all of this, and make all of it spin the way it's supposed to, surely He can, he can, uh, he can strengthen me to manage the very simplistic life that I have. <laughs> and so as I sit there and pray, and look at that image, eventually, now maybe not within five minutes, maybe not within 10 minutes, but eventually a soothing will start to come. And what is going on when that happens? It's like you're able to reach up and grab a plateau with your hands, and you can feel it, and you grab it. And then once you grab it, just like a cliffhanger who's been hanging there, if it's a good grip, now you can pull yourself up on that plateau to a place of safety. Praise the Lord. Now, I have a few other images too that work for different things. If there's another type of war, perhaps that starts to uh, uh, to rage, or the, these things begin to float around, I'll take that image, I'll pray in the Spirit, and I'll look at it. What is it, Pastor Stephen? What is the image? I don't want to tell you specifically, because I want you to find something that works for you. And the image that I look at, which glorifies God, is an image that... Uh, it's pure, it's holy, and it's just full of what I would call a representation of God's love. And as I look at it, maybe not within five minutes, maybe not within 20 minutes, but as I keep looking at it and praying in the Spirit because it's such a soothing, beautiful, sweet image, then the yucky stuff will start to evaporate. Pastor Stephen, what do you mean the yucky stuff? Oh, all that stuff that floats within the soulish mind that needs to be put under, that needs to be crucified, starts to evaporate. And the war starts to subside. Why? Because the Spirit is now winning. Now, this is very important. Let me say this. You want to move from a position of being like a cliffhanger, where you pull yourself up and get on the plateau. And you can tell the, the yucky stuff is leaving you. It's evaporating. This is very important. Don't make the mistake of pulling out too quick. Well, Pastor Stephen, I got some relief. That's all I need. No, you're not filled up yet. And if you're not filled up, you're not even still yet in the holy place, and you're definitely not in the holy of holies. You're still somewhere there in the out of court. You just moved to the front of it. Now you've gotten a little bit closer to the holy place. You need to stay with the Lord until you're filled and you're just solid. You're solid to where any vesture of that thing has now left you. It's evaporated. 
Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. I have set the Lord always before me. That's between you and the Holy Spirit to find a format that works for you. There are two images that I have that whenever those things happen with me, oh, Pastor Stephen, I didn't, I didn't think that you had to deal with these. Let me tell you a very honest truth. Any person, no matter who they are, who is a Christian that lives in a flesh and blood body has to deal with these types of things. And if they act like they don't, then they are not being honest or sincere with you or with themselves. Praise the Lord. So find something that you can look at as you pray in the Spirit that will bring that comfort, that will bring that soothing, and you will find that you are you are moving to, into a place of strength to abstain, to say no, to just have the craving dried up. Praise the Lord. I'm speaking to some people today, and you greatly need to know these secrets. Praise the Lord. You need to know how to get out of the dangerous cliffhanger position where your soul and your body are dominating your life and pull yourself up to a plateau of safety in the Lord. Praise God. Now, you want to maintain that place, but should you ever get in a place where things are difficult, this is how you get back into that stable place. Now, you will see some Christians that it would appear as if they live their entire lives in the outer court area. They, they live in a place of worry. They live in a place of doubt and unbelief. They live in a place of habitual defeat to various sin patterns or sin habits. And they don't even really want to walk into a place where they have victory over it. But I know today that I'm talking to those who want to be overcomers. Mm -mm. Praise the Lord. And this is why we need to understand these principles. Praise the Lord. If you stop and think about it for a moment, and we ask ourselves, what actually is holiness? Well, we could describe holiness as being moral and ethical purity. It's purity in your morals, purity in your ethics. You, you're, you're not stealing. You're not doing things that are immoral. So you are walking in a place of holiness. But this is what many believers don't understand. Holiness always carries with it in its root meaning one who has overcome the trial or the temptation. I'll give you an example. Why are the angels of heaven called holy? Well, Pastor Stephen, they're called holy because they're in God's presence. Well, that doesn't, that does not impart holiness into them just because they're standing in a certain position or place. Again, holiness always carries a core meaning of having denied a trial and overcome it, denied a temptation and overcome it. So we know that there was a rebellion in heaven many years back, and Lucifer invited, tempted, asked all of the angels to come with him. But two-thirds did what? Two-thirds said, no, we're not going with you. So he got one-third, and two-thirds decided to stay. 
the two-thirds that stayed are considered what? Holy angels. Why are they holy? Because not only are they in heaven in God's presence, but also because they are the ones that overcame the temptation or the trial in that moment when they were faced with that, and they did the right thing. So holiness, yes, it's not just a state of being. It's a state of having accomplished something in the Lord. Praise God. I want you to see something in Second Peter chapter 2. And this all goes along with abstaining from these fleshly lusts, why we should do it, and the rewards that are involved, not, in, not just in this world, but in the one to come. Second Peter chapter 2, let's look at the life of Lot just for a moment, and uh, get ready for an amazing statement to be uttered under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Peter that we have to look at today. Now, it says uh, concerning God's righteous judgment, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Verse 7, and delivered righteous Lot. Is that not one of the most amazing statements in the Bible? That Lot is described by God in His Word as being righteous, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, that twice he's called righteous, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Now, when you read through the book of Genesis, particularly chapter 19, where many of these events with Lot's life unfold, and you see that he lived in uh, this area of Sodom and Gomorrah, and his wife, and uh, you know, the children and so forth, and you know, the wife and the kids didn't want to leave, and Lot himself, he had to have the angels just come and grab their hands and, and pull them all out. So when it's saying that he was righteous, and you look at his standards, even when these perverted men came banging on the door and said, we want those two men that are staying with you. He said, well, uh, don't, don't take them. Take my two daughters. I mean, you think he's righteous? How on earth can this be? And then later, when they leave uh, that the plain area where Solomon and Gomorrah had been destroyed, he's uh, now staying in a cave with his two daughters. And you know the crazy stuff that happened there and the, uh, the heathen nations that were always enemies to Israel that were produced out of that ungodly relationship that happened there, and you think, this man is called righteous? But you have to remember, my friends, that he was connected with Abraham through covenant, and God was connected with Abraham through a covenant. It's known in Scripture by theologians as the Abrahamic covenant. And what that covenant did for Abraham is that from God, it imputed righteousness into Abraham because of Abraham's faith and trust in God and in His Word. And Lot joined in on that covenant as well. So the Abrahamic covenant was working in his life, and because of that, and because of Lot's general faith in God and trust in God, righteousness was imputed into him as well. Now, we have a better covenant in Christ, and we have righteousness, Christ's righteousness imputed into us. So, God the Father, when He sees us, He sees the righteousness of Christ in us, 
Why? Because we are in him. However, you must realize that with Lot, that although he was called a righteous man, he would not be considered a holy man. Because a holy man would be like, hey, I'm not living in an atmosphere like this. Now, was he righteous? Yes. But was he holy? No, absolutely not. And uh, he was willing to tolerate a lot of things for the great climate and the tremendous financial economy that was taking place there because of all the tar and things like that, and that being sold all over uh, that part of the world. But holiness is not imparted. Holiness is a choice, and that's something that you choose to step into in order to honor the Lord and to please the Lord. Praise God. And we see that God has a desire for us to walk in this. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Don't think it's strange if this war is going on. That's part of the battle. The good news is that one day we are going to experience our full redemption in the sense that we will be out of this body and we will get a new glorified body. And so instantly that struggle will be over with. And also when our full redemption is manifested, our minds will be completely made whole. So up until that part, uh, until that point, we keep renewing them and washing them with the Word of God. And it is possible, it is possible in this life to walk close with the Lord in a place where you overcome these struggles and these trials, and you don't have to be overthrown by them, but you can step back and you can get refreshed in the Lord. That's one of the reasons why many of God's people get in trouble. They get too busy. They neglect their prayer time, and they're running around doing all kinds of things, maybe even their good things. But that closeness with the Lord begins to slip, and that's when the enemy will launch an attack, and the war is suddenly on, and you're just trying to hang on for dear life. So if you ever find yourself in a place like that, you can pull yourself up. And this is how I, I, again, I suggest you do it. Just find a place where you could sit down and just start praying in the Spirit until that peace comes. Put the Lord before you in some way that you, you can meditate on His beauty. There have been many of the old saints who have had very close walks with God, and sometimes they would have images. Maybe it was nothing more than a cross. If that's all they could uh, you know, maybe there was not an artist or not a painting, so all they could get was a, wooden, a little wooden cross, and they would just look at it, and they would meditate upon the cross, the instrument of death, the instrument of cruelty by which our salvation was purchased through Christ, and they'll just meditate and pray and meditate and pray. Before you know it, they're in a place of calmness and serenity, and what's happened? They have gotten up on that plateau of safety, and then they have gone into the place of security. And you can do the same thing. I know for several of the well-known saints, for them it was an image of Mary. And, you know, I've seen some of the images. Uh, One particular saint that I'm thinking of right now that lived in Italy, he had this image of Mary. And I've seen the image. It's uh, it's a very crude image, and you would think that the person who painted the image didn't even do a very good job. But that's not really the point. The point is that when this 
holy man, when he would have trials and he would have things come against him and attack him and he would feel these temptations, he would start to pray and he would just look at that image of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and there was something in the image that he could relate to of Christ's likeness that began to bring soothing and comfort and consolement into his life. And before you knew it, he was back into that place where his spirit is dominant and the temptation has left. And again, that is a state of holiness. Not that you're not tempted, not that you don't feel it, but that you keep walking with the Lord, you stay with the Lord, He gives you the grace to overcome it, and then you know the sweetness of that victory. That in essence is what holiness is, and that's what belongs to the overcomers. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as your people are watching right now, and there are those who have struggled with certain issues, maybe not for just weeks or months, but perhaps some that have struggled um, since their youth, and, and they're now adults, and they think, Lord, I've never, I have never overcome this thing. And so, Father, we thank you for mercy, because one of the reasons for these struggles can be because we just weren't taught. It wasn't unveiled. It wasn't talked about. And perhaps, Father, because those that were in leadership, they themselves did not know. So, Father, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for grace. And we thank you for the ability to get refreshed in your presence, to pray, and for those things leaving. And then, Father, for the deeper dive of still staying with you and getting filled up until we know that it is okay to leave. Now, Father, we give you all of the praise. We bless you. Thank you for your grace and for wisdom in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. My friends, there, there is a place in, uh, even in the natural world, that if you are speaking to a sovereign, to a king, for example, when you, when you conclude the conversation and the conversation is over, you do not turn around and just walk out you don't turn around at all. You back out until maybe you get 20 steps back, and then you turn. There is a place with the Lord where you sense in your heart, I'm full. I can leave now. And it's that place, not before, but it's at that place where you humbly say, Lord, this has been wonderful, and I'll see you next time. And then you can exit from the presence of the Lord. But to just pull out when you're not full, or the conversation is not concluded, and, and just leave. I think that can actually be disrespectful to the Lord, and it would certainly be uh, dishonorable to do that in a royal court. You never, you never do that. You, you back out. So we are learning more and more the ways of God, the ways of His royalty, the ways of His kingly protocol. Praise God, and we are flourishing in His kingdom as we take these principles and apply them to our lives. Now, if you're watching today's message and you don't know Jesus Christ, the great Redeemer, the one who has paid the sin penalty, then you can know Him today by putting your faith and trust in Him and by receiving full salvation that He purchased for you at Calvary. If you would like to do that, pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner but you died to save sinners like me. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash all of my sins away with your precious blood. I give my life to you right now. Thank you, Jesus. 
take control of my life from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, let's take Holy Communion today. And communion could be something that perhaps would work for you or that you could implement into your life should you find yourself in a, in a cliffhanger type situation. Now, it could be that that might not work in the sense that your soulish nature doesn't want to do that. But it could also be that maybe that uh, for you works the same as it does for me as looking at an image that glorifies the Lord. So you have to find what works for you and just keep praying, keep praying, and that, that peace will come and the victory will come. Praise God. Now, let's grab some unleavened bread today and some grape juice. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory. Glory to God. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We consecrate it through this prayer, and we thank you that this is the body and the blood of Christ our Savior. Father, as we receive the body of Jesus, I pray for strength for your people, because, Father, the world is so crooked and twisted, and what's evil is so often celebrated as good, and what's good is now so often persecuted and spoken against. So I pray for strength for your people to live a clean life in a very dirty world. I pray, Father God, that your people be marked as those of the remnant, those that will not compromise or bow, but they'll continue to hold to your word and your principles. Now, Father, we thank you for the great work that you're doing. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the body of Jesus. Praise the Lord. And Father, I pray for strength for your people, fresh anointing, and the joy of the Lord. We thank you, Father. As we receive the blood of Jesus, we ask, Father, that if we have committed any sins, that you would forgive us, that you would wash them all away. And Father, we forgive anyone who has sinned against us. We ask that you would lead us away from temptation and that you would deliver us from the evil one. Father, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. My friends, the Holy Spirit is helping right now for you to identify those forms of abstaining that work in your life. Just sit down, start praying in the Spirit begin to meditate upon the Lord, set the Lord before you in a way that's effective for you. I, I would suggest don't try to copy what worked for somebody else. You may want to consider it, but find what works for you, and then you'll be walking in a place of ongoing victory. Praise the Lord. Thank you for watching today. I look forward to seeing you back next time. Till then, stay blessed. Bye-bye.